And we're uh, making progress, but we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there as far as this year is concerned. A few weeks ago, we were looking at Joshua chapter 12. We tied our lesson back then, uh, 31 Kings, and as we studied through that chapter, we understood that, that we have the, uh, the conquering of the land, and he sort of shows us the division as they come in, they go south, they go north. And so when we look at it, we have the kings and the cities that are defeated and listed for us in chapter number 12. And then we come to chapter number 13, and in chapter 13, we sort of change gears just a little bit. And as we look at chapter 13, it's sort of like this. Yes, we have done all of that, but we're not finished yet. There's still more to do, and God will address Joshua here at the beginning of this chapter that there's still more to do. Now, I want you to look at it. I want you to, to read along with me. So if you have your Bible tonight, you may want to open it up to the book of Joshua, chapter number 13. And as we think about some of the things that, that we'll see tonight, we'll have three main lessons that we'll focus on from chapter number 3, three things that we can learn from this chapter. And, and as I do that tonight, the first one is simply this. There are many challenges left for those in the twilight years of life. Now look, if you will, to Joshua chapter number 13, and look at verse number 1. Uh, now while you're looking there, while you're turning there, while you're thinking about it, I want you to know that I'm not in the habit of calling people old. Okay? That'll get you in trouble in a hurry. So I'm not in the habit of calling people old, but I guess if God does it, it must be okay. So let's look at chapter 13, verse number 1. The Bible begins, Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And then look at the next statement that's uh, there. The Lord said to him, Now, God, what are you going to say to Joshua? You're old. God said, You are old and advanced in years. And there remains much land, very much land, to possess. Now, if you look in the next few verses there, you're going to find the land that that remained that they, that they would conquer at a later time. But God says, there's, you're old, but there's still more to do. There's still more for those in the twilight years of life to do. Look on down to verse number 6. Verse number 6, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon to Misrephoth, uh, Maon, even the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Yes, there's, you're old and there's a lot more to do, but it's not just for other people to do. You see, God says that Joshua is old, and that he still has things that he needs to do. Now, if we were to talk about the age of Joshua, as best we can tell, Joshua is already over a hundred years old at this point. He dies when he's 110 years old. We turn to the last chapter of the book of Joshua. We find that he, that he dies at the age of 110. And so as best we can tell, he is at this point already over 100 years of age. And so, you know, by anybody's standards today, that's pretty well getting on up in years. And because there's not a lot of folks who reach the age of 100 today, you know, we think that's somewhat amazing. Joshua was still leading his people. 
Joshua still had work to do that God had assigned him to do. And so at this age, he, he had much, much more to do. Folks, I don't know if you realize it or not. We don't say it enough, and perhaps we don't recognize it enough, but one of the most valuable resources we have in the church is its older members. Those who have lived life, they've arrived at what we might call the apex of life. They've reached the mountaintop, if you will. They have a long life of experience that they can share. They have knowledge. They have honor. They have an excellent view from that mountaintop that the rest of us down below don't have. They have crossed many bridges. They have gone by many crossroads in life. They've come to the top, and life has given them a wealth of knowledge that you cannot learn in a book. And so we have that resource within the Lord's church and our older, our senior saints, our older brothers and sisters in Christ. And in spite of all of that, quite often and too often, one is too many, but in spite of all of that, many of them, our older brothers and sisters in Christ, develop somewhat of a defeatist attitude And it sort of makes them think something like this, I am so useless. What can I do? I've lived my life, my body doesn't work like it used to, I've got some problems with my hearing, I can't see like I used to, I'm just useless to everybody. You know what, I've had folks say that. Make that statement to me, I'm just useless. It shouldn't be that way. You know why? Because I read Psalm 92, verse number 14. They, the righteous, if you notice in the context there, he's talking about the righteous, he says, they still bear fruit in old age. They're ever full of sap and green. They still bear fruit in old age. God, God doesn't give us necessarily a retirement plan here on this earth. One time I received a, a, a little thing. A, a, it was, I don't, you don't call it crochet, it was on the, on the little plastic thing where you go through and you put the yarn on it. And it said something to the effect that, and this was from an elderly lady in the church, the payment down here may not be very much as a preacher, but the retirement plan is out of this world. You know, the retirement plan, when it comes to, to God's people, It's not here, but it's there. It's on the other side of eternity. And when we get there, it's there that we can have a lot of blessings that we'll never have here, but while we're here, we're still here to bear fruit. There's a long list of God's senior saints who accomplish much that are listed for us in Scripture. We could talk about Moses. Moses really didn't get started until he was 80 years old. And then there's Abraham. And if you go in in the very next chapter in the book of Joshua, you're going to read about another man by the name of Caleb that we'll talk about next time. And he, he, like Joshua, has reached an older, to be an older man. We could go on through and we could talk about different ones from the Word of God. Being older 
It's not just about taking the trips of life. It's about serving God because we're not finished yet. Not finished yet. Do you remember what said in the book of Titus chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, as we think about the fact that God's senior servants still have responsibilities? Notice what he says there in Titus 2, verses 2 and 3. He says, Old men would be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Old women, likewise, would be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. Now think about that passage with me for just a second tonight. Obviously, in verse number 3, the last verse there, it makes it clear that, that those ladies who have reached the golden years, as we'll call them, they, they still have a job to do. They are to teach what is good. Of course, they teach other women, the younger women, to, uh, different things that are mentioned there by the Apostle Paul. But I also want you to observe tonight that even though that is not mentioned particularly in this passage. The passage doesn't teach that the older women are to teach while the older men sit on a bench and whittle. Y'all remember the days when the older gentlemen used to sit downtown in different places. I remember it in Winfield. It was down on the corner, down by uh, Harris's store. There was a bench down there. And you'd go by occasionally and they'd be sitting out there whittling. That's not what the Bible says about God's people, God's senior servants. You see, when I look around, I see a lot of younger men, even within the church. But when I see them, I see a, a whole bunch of young men who could benefit from a dose of teaching from an older man on how to be a man and how to be a godly man. And if we miss out on that, we miss so much in the Lord's church and in our society. The tremendous amount of knowledge and experience that our older brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that they have obtained through the years, needs to be shared with the younger generation and not hoarded and lost. There will come a time when it's not around anymore because we'll all go the way of all the earth if the Lord allows time to continue. And we won't have that opportunity. And so we need to use and take advantage of it now. I mentioned the fact that the Bible speaks about a number of senior saints that are mentioned, those who are senior servants of God, but there's one mentioned in the book of Luke, chapter number 2. This particular one is a lady, by the way, and we mention ladies at the end of Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse number 3. But you are familiar with her if you've read the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Then Luke chapter 2, verses 36 and 37, the Bible says there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, 37, uh, verse 37, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping and fasting and prayer, with worshiping and fasting, with fasting and prayer, night and day. 
got my tang tangled up there. Here's a lady, 84 years old. Where'd she spend her time every day? In Jerusalem? Where in Jerusalem? In the temple? What was she doing in the temple? Worshipping? How was she doing that? Fasting and praying. Consider that. Do you realize how many things this church needs you to pray about? Do you realize how many people in this church need your prayers? Here's a good example of an 84-year-old lady who spent her time every day doing just that. There's value, not just in teaching, but in the prayer that can be had and prayed by others. By the way, you might want to remember what is said in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, at verse number 5. It fits well with what is said there in Luke chapter 2. She who is truly a widow, if you're reading from the King James Version, who's a widow indeed. She who is a, a, a truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope in God. And what does she do? She continues in supplications and prayers just like Anna did, night and day. You see, the, God, the, the Bible, God through his Bible, he lays out a plan for us. He shows us what can be done even by those who are older in years. What about corresponding with others, missionaries, with guests, with others, making phone calls? There's still much that every person can do, no matter what the calendar says about their age. That's a lesson we learn. When you pick up Joshua chapter 13, the Bible says Joshua was old, but Joshua still had more to do. And God gave him more to do. Number two tonight, as we continue our thoughts in the book of Joshua, chapter number 13, I I want you to think about this. and Look at this passage before you go. Even older folks must guard their relationship with God. Solomon, when he was old, he was taken away by his wife. But think about this. Those who work full-time for God have a right to be paid. Look down to verse number 14, Joshua 13, verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says there. God is telling Joshua that there's to be a division of the land. He's helping him see what needs to be done, but... Verse number 14 says, To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. How sad was that? They didn't get any land. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. Yes, they were given the the task of taking care of things around first the tabernacle and then the temple. But when the offerings were made and the sacrifices were offered, what did, what did they do with, with all of those animals? Did they just burn them up, 
to completely consume them. Some of them were. But the rest, along with the, the meal offerings, the flower offerings, the oil offerings, and all of those things, that was the pay that the tribe, the people, the workers, the Levites, that was their pay. That was their inheritance. They didn't have any land they could farm on. They didn't have time if they had land where they could grow things. Their daily task was consumed with the work of God as people came and offered the, the sacrifices of, of different kinds. And, and, and the people were prescribed to do that at different times during the day. When you go back through the book of Leviticus and you, and you begin to trace those down, those people were busy. Those Levites and the priests themselves as well, they were busy. They had a lot to do. But he says, the offerings by far are to the Lord of God, uh, God of Israel, are their inheritance. That was their pay. Now, obviously tonight, that we could talk about the fact that 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14 speak about those who preach the gospel. They, they're delivered the gospel. Uh, notice there in verse number 14 in particular, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And, you know, I think it's a proven fact that, that there are preachers, and all you got to do is look at some of the former TV preachers. They preach for money. But most of the guys that I know, they don't do that. You see, they're paid because they preach. They don't preach because they're paid. They have the right to do that. You know it's sad, but I know one gospel preacher, if I was to call his name, many of you would know him. He he refused to move out of a drug and gang infested area. The place where he had lived for so long had become drug and gang infested, and he refused to move because he was afraid the brethren who helped support him in his work would think that he was taking advantage of them by moving into a better house. Very clear that the Bible speaks about those who labor in the Lord's work, they're to be paid for it. But I want you to know tonight that it's not just preachers who are authorized to receive pay for their work of the Lord. Here's where I want to camp out for just a few minutes tonight. I want you to think about some things that are taught to us in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Pretty obvious that he's speaking about elders there who spend time eldering, who spend time taking care of the sheep, including preaching and teaching from that standpoint as well. 
He speaks about the double honor. They, they receive the honor of the office that they are serving in, but they are also uh, worthy of the pay. Just like a, uh, an ox would be worthy of his food that he eats. But what's the point that we, that we want to grasp here? What's the thing that we need to really and truly think about? Through the years that I've worked as a preacher in the Lord's church, I, I have heard elders. And not just as a preacher in the local work, but through our work with polishing the pulpit and being able to meet and know a number of elders throughout now the entire United States and, and abroad, I've heard a number of elders lament the fact that they just do not, because of their schedule, because of the work that, that they have to do in order to, to take care of their families, they just don't have the time to spend doing the work of an elder. Because of that, I believe the Lord's church has suffered through the years because we've missed the point here. I think sometimes we've unintentionally, we've heard other preachers mention this as well, we've unintentionally instituted a pastor system within the Lord's church in regard to the preacher. And we lay work that God assigned to certain men in the church on on to the preacher. And, and we expect the preacher to take care of some of those things. Folks, I want you to know I'm tonight I'm not complaining about being a preacher. But I want us to understand what the Bible has to say. And we can, we can look at some of that because we see in the book of Joshua God had a plan. He had a plan for the Israelites and he has a plan in the Lord's church as well. I love to visit with folks and I love to be with them when they're sick and try to, try to comfort and help in ways that I can. But I, I can't, think, uh, can't get over the fact that in the book of uh, James chapter 5 at verse 14, the Bible says, Is there anyone sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the Lord's church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil. I can't help but think about what he said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who are given account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. How can they do that if their life is so consumed that they simply do not have time to do that? Preachers have been assigned a different work by God. There are times in Scripture where their work is mentioned. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some He made elders in the Lord's church, shepherds and teachers. Acts chapter 21 verse 8, we read about Philip the evangelist. And in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 5, he speaks about, as for you, always be sober-minded. He's writing, Paul is writing to Timothy, and your suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You see, when our preachers are pulled from their God-given obligation, 
there is a lot of teaching that has to go undone. And when elders are unable to fulfill their roles, there are a lot of souls that are unguarded. And so everyone loses. The souls of those who are to be edified by the elders, the souls of those who need saving with the Evangelion. You see, that's the message that the evangelist carries, the gospel. And so tonight as we look and we think about what is said way back in the book of Joshua, chapter 13, we need to follow through in God's word. And we need to seek to understand that he had a plan for them and he has a plan for us. And we need to seek to do to follow that plan as best we can. You know, you could probably, if you were thinking real hard, you might be able to, to think of five congregations of the Lord's church who have elders who are not spending time making a living in other places, but they're making their living doing the work of the church. Can you think of five? Can you think of three? Can you think of one? Just something to be thinking about. And so tonight, rather than losing, we, we could think about the benefit of what it means to do things the way God has laid out in his word. And then last of all tonight, our time is running short. Here's lesson number three. The wages of sin is death. Now where do you get that from? Well, look at verse 30, or 22 in chapter 13. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the one who practiced divination, was killed with a sword by the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. There, there's a list there of those who have been conquered, but, but he specifically mentions Balaam, and he specifically mentions the fact that he practiced divination. If you were with us last Sunday night, you know that we talked about the, the occult, we talked about the uh, witchcraft a little bit and things like that, but here's a man who practiced that. Bible specifically says it. But he's put to death. He's killed by the sword. But, but, but I thought he did what was right. You know, when the king invited him to come and curse the children of Israel, he told the king, he said, I can't say anything other than what God tells me to say. And if you go back to the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 24, when Balak, the king of Moab, was trying to get him to do that, Three times he tried to get him to do that, and three times Balaam said, I can't do it. The only thing I can say is what God said. I can't curse them if God says bless them. You know, Balaam was the guy with the talking donkey. God allowed him to see that, um, to hear what the donkey had to say after he struck the donkey because God was going to slay Balaam for what he was about to do. So why did they put him to death? What's the whole thing here? Notice in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 11, the Bible says, Therefore, this is King Balak saying to Balaam, He says, Now therefore flee to your own place. I said, I will certainly honor you. 
But the Lord has held you back from honor. That word honor is sort of like the one that we just encountered today in the book of uh, 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 1 Timothy, or rather 1 Peter. It's that idea of being reimbursed or paid. You see, when we are first shown a glimpse into the life of Balaam, the king sends him some emissaries. He sends him some, some folks to, to be with him, and evidently he sends the idea, I'll pay you. Second time, he, seen, he seen, sends some higher-ups, and it seems the price had gone up. If you had just cursed the children of Israel, well, he doesn't do that. But, and that's where he gets in trouble, we are enlightened on some things in the New Testament book of Second Peter, chapter number 2, verse number 15. Peter writes about forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, they have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. You see, when the king said, I was going to honor you, and the Lord kept you from honor, those wheels evidently started turning in the mind of Balaam. How can I get it? You see, he, he wanted the pay. He wanted to get the money. Jude verse uh, 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Again, there's the idea that, that, that he wanted the pay. He, he wanted the money. He wanted to be honored in the way that the king was going to honor him to get the get the pay. Then there's the church at Pergamon to which John would write these words, Jesus speaking, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there, some there who hold the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak or Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. Having put all of those things together, if you go back to the book of Numbers chapter 25, the very next chapter, Balaam is read up, we read about him in 22 through 24, but in chapter 25, we read the story of how the children of Israel were taken away by Baal worship and some Midianite women. Twenty-four thousand men died because of it. Where did the king get the idea to try to entice the children of Israel to forsake their God and to turn to immorality? You see, Balaam knew God would only bless the children of Israel, and so evidently it was he who suggested if you can get them to turn away from him and you can get them to disobey him, then surely he himself will curse them. However, That was his sin, and he paid for it with his life. 
You see, that old passage that we read in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, always holds true. The wages of sin is death. But as we bring our lesson to a close tonight, don't forget the last part of that. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to be like Balaam. We don't have to lose our life or our soul because of sin. We have life promised to us through Jesus Christ. It may be tonight that you want to be baptized into him to have the forgiveness that's offered on me in him. And it may be tonight that there's something amiss in your life that you need to straighten out in a public way so that you can be right with him, right with God, whatever the case may be. Three lessons that we look at in the book of Joshua chapter 13 and learn. No matter what age we are, even if we're getting into the twilight years of life, we still have more to do. And not only that, but those who are laboring in the work of the Lord deserve to be paid. And number three, we must be careful because the wages of sin is death. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight, do it right now as we stand and sing. Into Jesus for the cleansing power. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood? In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb, are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless, are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a